Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Worship was amazing in this room just now. That is Shelby and Lindsay, Justin. Most of that group is the cafe band. Uh, they're awesome. That's every single Sunday at 945 back in the cafe. You guys are lucky, lucky to have them leading worship. God bless all of you in cafe this morning. Everybody open your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Let's talk about money. Yeah, I hear y'all groaning, everybody putting your purse away in case the pastor comes, trying to get your purse. Um, that's, that's not what we're doing today. Malachi chapter 3, let's talk about money. First off, let me start here. I am so blessed. I am blessed to be the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. I am blessed to have my life united with yours. I am blessed to have been discipled by men and women of this church because I have learned uh, how cheerful it is to give to God by watching you, by following your example. You all have taught me how to give to God, how to give to people, how to be generous, how not to love money. You all have taught me this. I've been in this church since I was a teenager. And so uh, it's a blessing to preach about money with a congregation who gets this right. So let me just start off by saying that. Uh, this congregation is a generous and giving congregation. Uh, you give uh, far and above and beyond every single week. What this church gives to missions around the world is, is absolutely mind-blowing. Your generosity in planting churches and supporting other churches uh, is just absolutely extraordinary. I, I love you, and it is my pleasure to be your pastor, and it is a privilege to talk about money with people who get this right. Now, having said all of that, I have no idea what any of you give. I have no idea. I know that in general, our church is a very generous church, and in general, uh, we have very good numbers that support your weekly generosity, and I love that. And as I say, your missions giving as a group, uh, the way we support other churches, the way you give to the poor, it's just amazing. But I don't know what any one of you gives individually. Now, there are pastors who would disagree with that choice, and it's a choice. Uh, I just simply have never looked. I don't care to look. I don't ever want to know. To be honest, my wife writes our check. I don't know what we give either. I mean, I know that you find it hard to believe. I'm just sort of not that curious about, about money. I'm, I'm not that money-oriented or, or, or money-driven. I'm not saying that some of you are and that's wrong. I'm just saying I'm just sort of missing that hemisphere of the brain uh, that, that's supposed to care a lot about those things. But having said that, there are pastors who really believe that that's vital information for the pastor to know what individuals give because they say it's a discipleship issue, and, and it truly is. The reason some pastors do look at giving records and keep up with what individuals give is that it is a way of sort of tracking people's spiritual growth. And it's not because the pastors are money-hungry or money-driven. They just know that, honestly, your heart follows your treasure. That's what Jesus says, where your treasure is that your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. And so for that reason, if you pay attention to people's giving patterns, you can know something about their spiritual life. And I know that that's true. I still don't do that. I, I choose not to do that. And I don't think this church would want me to do that. But I do believe in that principle. Your heart follows your, your treasure. Uh, statistics show that a person, before they drop out of church altogether, they typically stop giving for about a year prior to that. Interesting. So before your attendance patterns change or before your uh, outwardly your discipleship patterns change, your giving will change first. You understand your heart follows your treasure. And so honestly, by looking at a person's individual giving record, you can know something about their spiritual life. Don't think that these things are disconnected. 
It's not always just about uh, how much money you make because tithing, you know, giving to God is a relative thing. Sometimes we give more, sometimes we give less, but it's a percentage, you understand. So it's not so much about whether it's a, a, a poor season or a blessed season in your life. It's really more to do with where your treasure is. There your heart will be. Your heart will follow your treasure. I can say up front, though, I don't know what individuals give, but I know who the biggest giver in this church is, and I'd like to go ahead and recognize him right now. Can I do that? Given more, outgiven everybody, there's nobody that comes even close to giving what this person gives. Can I go ahead and tell you who he is? It's God, right? God. God is the greatest giver, and we forget that. And that's the other thing that makes it a joyful thing to talk about money, to talk about possessions, because God gives to us. God gives us everything, and God is a tremendously generous provider. Will you not agree with that? Obviously, God uh, lets some people have a whole lot more money, a whole lot more possessions. I mean, God gave some of you naturally curly hair and straight teeth and all that. I don't understand that. God has his own purposes and his own plan for every one of us, and he provides for us according to his plan and his purpose. I can't explain that. Don't always understand it. I just know that every single one of us could stand up and give a testimony to the fact that God is a generous giver. He is so good, and he is so great, and he continues to give and give and give and give. And everything that we have belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. Everything. Now, the book of Malachi is interesting. Open to Malachi chapter 3. It's the very last, very last book in the Old Testament. So if you can't find it, go to Matthew and then just turn back a couple of pages to Malachi. Malachi is a fascinating book. It's a little bitty book in the Bible that's really talking about revival. It's talking about how God's people need to return to him, how they need to be revived. The interesting thing about the people in Malachi is that, honestly, they continue to show up at church all the time. I mean, as far as the temple worship goes, it's just on fire. I mean, the temple attendance has never been better. And that's interesting because when God keeps telling them, you need to return to me, you need to return to me, they keep asking, how do we return? We haven't really gone anywhere. We're right here. How do we return? It's a spiritual kind of return. Even though they continue to show up at the temple week after week after week, their hearts are far from him. You should read Malachi. It's interesting because the spiritual problems in Malachi, for example, show up not so much at the temple, but they show up at home in the marriage. There's an incredible marriage crisis with God's people in the book of Malachi. And one of the ways God says, return to me, is go back and be faithful to your wife. Go back and be faithful to your husband. Fix your marriage. That would honor me. You see, it's that sort of thing. All of these things that we tend to separate from our spiritual life, they're not separate. It's not just that God wants your Sunday morning life, your spiritual life. God is concerned about your life life. And that's what brings us to your money. So again, God says, I want you to return to me. I want you to come to me. And they say, how do we return? He says, you need to return to me and your tithes and offerings, your money. Yeah, because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Your heart will follow your treasure. So let's go. Matthew chapter 3, let's start in verse 6. I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we haven't gone anywhere? Verse 8. 
Should people cheat God? Should people rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever rob you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been robbing me. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, saith the Lord, and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts. That's why I remembered it from the King James Version. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Return to me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. How can we return? We haven't even gone anywhere. You have robbed me. Robbed God? You've robbed God? Some of y'all have heard this story. It's just, it's just one of my favorite stories in the world. Uh, there used to be a man in our community. I, I loved him very much. He, he really never went to church, and he was proud of that. He would tell you he wasn't a churchgoer. He didn't like preachers. He doesn't like church and none of that stuff. But the thing is, that dude would sneak in the back door of the church during the week when I was there. He just talked to me. We talked so much, and we talked about spiritual things. This man had a lot more going on spiritually than anybody ever knew. However, he was a self-confessed criminal. He was a criminal. As criminal as people in Woodburn get, this dude was criminal. Yeah, he, he was something. I loved him. He would come in and talk to me, and we would talk about spiritual things, and we'd talk about crime. One day he came in and said, preacher. He'd walk in the back door and yell, preacher. And I'd say, yeah, you know, come on in. He said, how are you doing today? I said, I'm not so good. He said, what's wrong? I said, somebody broke into church last night. They did. This was years ago. Somebody broke into church in the night and, and just took a bunch of dumb stuff, just stuff. He said, what did they take? I said, well, I gave him kind of a list of things missing from the office. I mean, just little piddling stuff, nothing of any value at all. He said, that ain't no good. He said, but that sounds like a kid. I'll take care of it. I said, okay. You know, I know what he's going to do, but okay. You know, so, y'all, the very next morning when I got to church, he's waiting for me. Waiting for me. I, I came in, I let him in. He said, here you go. He dropped it all on the desk. I mean, everything was there. Every single thing, every item that had been stolen was back right there. I said, uh, where did you get, you know, all of this? He said, it's just like I thought it was a kid. And I thought, what did you do to him? I, I mean, <laughs> it's, you got to ask, you know, what is... Where is he, you know, now? He said, oh, I just, I, he said, I, I just had to talk to him. He said, I, I just had to talk sense to him. I said, what'd you tell him? I said, well, I walked in. I busted in his door. I said, listen here, little britches. You want to be a criminal? Let me tell you the code of criminals. He said, there are two rules. Number one, you don't steal from no church. And number two, you don't steal from another criminal. Isn't that interesting? True story, y'all. True story. True story. There's a code of criminals. First off, there is an underworld in Woodburn. Who knew? There's an entire, 
under, there's a criminal, you know, underbelly of Woodburn that, that some people know and the rest of us don't have any idea about. But, you know, there's like criminals. And they have a code. Interesting. And the code of criminals has two rules. In other words, even criminals have some boundaries. You understand? And the first boundary is what? You don't steal from no church. Great. I just love living in a community with good, honest criminals, you know, <laughs> who have, you know, ethics and morals. You don't steal from a church, and you don't steal from another criminal, which cracks me up, you know. Uh, you don't steal from, from the church. It's interesting, because of what the Scripture says here, should people rob God, yet you've robbed me? This is God talking here, and it's God leveling the allegation here. You've robbed me. You've, you, you've cheated me. And the people are dumbfounded. I mean, you know, can you even imagine? It's like, stick him up. I mean, he's God. What can you possibly do to rob him? You know, you can, like, steal his identity, get his social security number, you know, and order stuff off of Amazon in God's name. How do you rob God? It sounds absurd. God says, you have robbed me. You need to return to me. And the way to come back, first off, is to give me back all the money that you've taken from me. You have cheated me. This is God speaking. And the people say, what? I mean, what? How have we robbed you? When could we have ever robbed you? How can people cheat you? You're God. God says, you have cheated me. You, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. Now, now, now let's talk about that. It, it, it's right here in the scripture. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. Okay, first off, what is a tithe? It's an Old Testament word. What does the word tithe mean? It means tenth. We're speaking about percentages. This is like elementary school math. We're talking about a tenth, a, a percentage of one-tenth, which means if I have a dollar, the, the Old Testament principle is 10% of that dollar actually belongs to God. So if I have a dollar, actually, I have 90 cents, and 10 cents of that, a tenth of that belongs to God. Is that simple enough? You understand that? When I was a child growing up in a Christian home, my allowance at one point was 10 cents. We'll talk about the generosity of Don Harris for a moment here. You know, I got 10 cents, y'all. You know, try not to spend that all in one place, son. You know, I got 10 cents at one point. And then it went up to 15, but it started out at 10 cents. And my daddy did that on purpose. He gave me an allowance, not because he thought I deserved it or needed it or because he loved to give it, but he wanted to teach me something. So from a very, very early age, my parents gave me 10 pennies a week. It was 10 cents, and it was always in 10 pennies. Why was that? So that I would be able to tithe. You understand? I wouldn't have to make change in the offering plate like a redneck. You understand? They gave me 10 cents. And so if I have 10 pennies, nine of those, technically, you know, according to Scripture, I could say belong to me, although that's, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but that, that other one, that tenth one, one-tenth of that, the tithe, belongs to God. So what did I do with that? penny every single week from my earliest memory. When I would come to church, I would drop it in the offering plate. My parents taught me to tithe from the very, very earliest age. So this has just always been a part of my life. And, and I gather from the, the way this church gives, a lot of you have been trained in the same way. We, we, we tithe. It, it, it's a tenth. I mean, it, it requires doing a little bit of math. But it's just that idea that whenever, whatever God gives you, a tenth of that you give back. 
Now, some of you thinking, that doesn't make any sense. If God only wants me to have nine pennies, why doesn't he just give me nine pennies? Why does he give me ten and say, now give me one of those back? You know, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I mean, why would God give you all of it if he really wants 10% of it back? What, what's God doing? Everything God does is to bless us. Everything God does is for a purpose. And that purpose is always somehow to enrich our lives, to benefit us. So understand, there's a principle here, and it's not just pertaining to our money. Remember at the very beginning of time, at at creation, it says that God created everything in the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, honestly, it wasn't that God was plumb tuckered out from all that creating. No, it's just that from the earliest pages of scripture, God sets this example for us. In other words, there are seven days in the week and six days belong to you to do all your work. But that seventh day is a day of rest and worship for him. So even when it comes to the the, the time, the days of our lives, recognize that God sets a boundary for us and we're supposed to live with a certain amount of margin. I know people say, you know, Pastor, you don't understand. I got to work every day. No, no. Scripture actually says six days you shall work. And that seventh day belongs to God. And so you really can't just do anything you want on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, day, because that day belongs to the Lord. It's just this principle. And it's not that God wants to kill your fun. It's not that God just wanted to give you an extra day so you could fish. It's not simply so that we'd have money to put in the offering plate so we could keep the lights on around here. No, no, no. There's a deeper spiritual principle at work here because God knows that your heart's going to follow your treasure. God knows that. So the idea is we give back to God. Every single week we take one day, we do all of our stuff on all the other days. Our family time, our work time, our play time is on the other six days. But on that seventh day, that's God's day. It's not our day to do what we want. Then why would he have us do that? So that in the very rhythm of living our lives, we remember who God is and who's not God. You're not God. I'm not God either. You say, Pastor Jim, you don't understand. I got to work. Really. What exactly is going to fall apart if you take a day off? See, that's sort of the, the, the God idea that you and I have that, that sort of we're keeping everything going, that everything depends upon us, that if we don't show up at work, they're going to shut that place down. No. No. God makes it very, very plain. You have six days, and if you can't do it in six days, you're trying to do stuff that God never meant for you to do. Six days to get all your stuff done, and then that seventh day is God's. And it's the same way with your money. It's not that God just wants, you know, to play this game where you have to give some back. You give back a portion of that as a simple reminder that honestly, all of it belongs to him. It's all God's. I know if you say, well, you know, God's not the one clocking in down at the factory. I didn't see God on third shift. He's never worked four on and four off. I've never seen God work. I earned that money. My daddy earned his money. My granddaddy earned his money. I'm earning my money. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cute when you talk like that. It really is. (laughs) Remember, take your hand right here. Put it right here. Put it right here. Just do it. Do it. Put your hand right here. Take a deep breath. Yeah, where'd that breath come from? It came from God. Yeah, it came from God. So, so if every single breath you breathe is actually borrowed from God, then what exactly were you saying about stuff that belonged to you? You know, if you can't even earn your next heartbeat, 
then what was it you were saying about how you, you've earned and you're entitled to keep all the, you, you know, it, no, that, that tithe, that, that habit of giving back is intended to remind us that honestly it all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. Now, in the old days, in the Old Testament days, understand it wasn't a money-based economy. We have currency. We have bills. We have checks. We have credit cards. We have chains. We have all kinds of currency. But when we think about our money, we primarily think about currency like that. But understand, in the Old Testament, people didn't have paper money. They really didn't have coins either. So when they brought an offering to church, when they brought their tithe to church, a tenth of everything, what did they bring? They brought animals, typically. They brought animals. They would bring a bull or they would bring a lamb, a sheep. They would bring something like that. Sometimes it was literally fruits and vegetables. It was part of their harvest. Actually, in the Old Testament, they gave multiple tithes at different times of the year, and it might represent a a different way that God had blessed them. But nobody's writing checks in the Old Testament. Nobody's taking an envelope and sticking a $20 bill and licking the flap, putting $10 toward the building fund. It didn't work that way. And that's why in verse 10, it sounds so strange to us, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What's a storehouse? It will be the giant, giant barn at the temple where they put animals, you know, and grain. I mean, there'd be a tremendous amount of grain. Everybody coming in, they'd be bringing bushels of grain or, ah, you know, live animals. And those animals are going to be sacrificed, but they got to be put somewhere. I mean, the temple had a barn, a storehouse where all of the offerings and tithes that people would bring would be stored because you got to do something with all of these animals, all of this grain that the people would bring. So bring you all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough meat, enough food in my house. Why does God's house need food? Well, if you never really paid attention to how they worshiped at the Old Testament, because I promise you, y'all are Old Testament people. Y'all love this. They would bring the tithe. Let's say that in my case, it's a lamb and I'm bringing a lamb to the temple. This is my family's offering today. I'm bringing a lamb for my flock. It would be my very best, not like my three-legged, you know, blind lamb. I would bring my very finest to God, bring it into the storehouse. I would hand it over to the priest and understand temple worship is just slaughtering one animal after another, slaughtering the animals and the blood would flow. But guess what else? The, The meat is grilling out back. They ate. I mean, that's what the book of Deuteronomy says. Bring your tithe into the temple and then sit down and eat it with joy. You understand, y'all? You get to bring it, but you also get to eat it. God is not a God who just likes to take things away from us. God never just takes things away. Whatever you feel like you're giving God, you understand? Whatever you're turning loose, God is always giving back something better, something greater. God loves to give. He's not a taking God. He's a giving God. So even in the Old Testament, you come to the temple, but you eat. And it might be the only really time that you eat meat. Is that the temple in God's presence, in the context of worship, with hearts full of delight? So you bring the tithe into the storehouse so that there'll be enough food, enough meat in the temple. If you do this, says the Lord of heaven's armies. If you do this, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. Pour out a blessing so great, you won't even have enough room to receive it. Try it. Put me to the test. Now, 
there are definitely people who would say, you know, Pastor Tim, I think that tithe is just an Old Testament thing. And actually, it's a pretty good point and something that's good to discuss. We, we should have a longer conversation about this sometime. It's that whole idea that maybe the tenth, maybe the tithe belongs to the Old Testament law because this sounds like something the Pharisees would be all over. And honestly, in the New Testament with Jesus, the Pharisees are all over this. I mean, this is the kind of thing you can make rules about. This is the kind of thing you can start sending people bills. You know, they have, they got behind on their, on their building fund offering them. The Pharisees can go to town on this stuff. This is a great way to control people because remember, people's hearts follow their treasure. So if you can control their money, if you can take control of the purse, you can control people. And that's exactly why in churches all through time and all across the world, I mean, you'll see pastors who come in and take control of the money because these are men who want to control people. These are not godly men. Recognize, not godly men. They're men who want control. They're men who love control. And if you can control the money, you can control the people because hearts follow treasure. You understand that? So this is something Pharisees can go to town on. I mean, if you want to get about rules now, I mean, there really are denominations that send people a bill. You know, if you sign up to be a church member, you're going to tithe and people track that and they'll, they'll flat come and knock on your door, you know? And honestly, I don't ever want to be a part of a church where the Pharisees are having such a good time. I don't ever want to be a part of a congregation where the Pharisees win. And this does sound like something that gets pretty legalistic, 10%, you know? However, I agree completely that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the law. That what I could never do by keeping all the rules of the Old Testament, Christ has done for me on the cross. So now I am free from the law. You know, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not return to a yoke of slavery, Paul says. And honestly, tithing sounds like slavery to some people. I just don't see it that way. Now, the thing about the Old Testament law is it always somehow fell short. There are lots and lots of rules governing people's behavior. But Jesus always sort of, uh, it's not that he ignored the rules or set the rules aside. He just recognized that the rules were never the issue. Your behavior is never really the issue. The issue is your heart. Issues your heart. And that is why Jesus came and bled and died to do what the law could never do for us. The law could somehow police your behavior, but the law could never change your heart. Jesus' blood has the power to change your heart. Now, once you have a different heart, if anyone is in Christ, understand there's a new creation. Your behavior changes because you're a different man. You're a different woman. And being a different man or woman, you're still going to be carrying some money in your pocket. And since Christ now owns your heart, your heart will follow Christ and not your treasure anymore. You see, there's something that happens with your relationship to your possessions, your relationship to the material world. It really doesn't matter anymore. Your heart belongs to Christ. So once Christ owns your heart, understand, it becomes very, very simple to understand that he owns everything else too. When I died with Christ, understand, and I was buried in the waters of baptism, you know, my wallet got wet. You know, it, it died with me too. So now I'm raised to walk in the newness of Christian life, and that involves my, my financial life. It involves the way I relate to money. So honestly, most people would say that, that the tithe really does belong to the Old Testament, that that tenth is sort of a minimal sort of 
it's sort of place to start with the tenth. But as a Christian with the Holy Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is generosity. Understand, when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, what did he say? You need to give a tenth. No, Jesus said, you need to sell everything you have. I mean, Jesus didn't lower the standard. He raises the standard of giving. So if you want to talk about the tithe being a part of the Old Testament, I probably agree with you insofar as saying that, that, that for me, the, the tithe is sort of the place to start. Like if you're presently not giving anything, you should probably start by trying to give a tenth, to, just to give a tenth. Start there, but then as you grow in Christ, I think you'll find that giving is a rather wonderful thing. It's a cheerful thing, according to 2 Corinthians. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, as soon as you say, Pastor Tim, I don't, I don't understand that. Giving's just not cheerful for me. I don't enjoy it. It's hard for me to give. Well, I might suggest if, if, if giving is, is that hard for you, you're not giving enough. You probably, you know, you've heard those saying, give till it hurts. I disagree with that. Give till it feels good. Because there really is a point where it is a marvelous thing to give. Who's one of the happiest women on television? Oprah. Why? Because she can stand there and say, look under your seat. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. I mean, I would love to be Oprah. I'd be an awesome Oprah. Everybody look under your seats right now. You get a car, you get a car. You know, sorry, y'all. You get a hymnal, you get a hymnal, you get a hymnal. (laughs) Only thing under the seats in here. It is a wonderful thing to give. And if you haven't discovered that, then you haven't. You haven't given enough yet. You need to learn to give. I'd say the tenth is the place to start. It's just sort of the bare minimum. That, that, that's the Old Testament standard. But in Christ now, we're, we're new people. We're, we're new creations. And when God saved me, he saved all my finances too. I mean, it all belongs to him. And, and it's sort of a joyful thing to give back to him. Truly, we're giving back to him. You understand that? So, so very seriously, what Malachi says here is true. Not to return the tithe to God is a sin. Not to give back to God, that's a sin. It's a sin. It's like robbing God, and there are consequences to that. Turn back with me to the book of Haggai. It's just a couple of pages back. It's one of those Old Testament books that's really hard to find unless you happen to be in the book of Malachi. Then turn back about three pages. Haggai, H-A-G-G-A-I. Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. Malachi says this nation is under a curse. You're all under a curse because you've not tithed. You you failed to return back to God what belongs to him, so, so you're under a curse. Haggai talks about that curse a little bit in detail. Let's talk about what the curse looks like. It's here on the screen if you don't have your Bible. This is what the Word of God says. This is what God himself says. Look what's happening to you. You've planted much but harvest little. You eat but aren't satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but can't keep warm. Your money disappears as though your pockets were filled with holes. This is what the curse looks like. In Haggai, he's talking about the curse that God's people live under. And this is what it looks like. It looks like planting and planting and planting, but then getting so little back in return. It looks like eating and eating, but never really being satisfied. It's never good enough. Nothing is enough. You drink, but you're still thirsty. Nothing quenches that thirst inside your soul. 
You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. I mean, you're never satisfied. It's never enough. Nothing is ever enough. Your money disappears as though your pockets were filled with holes. Now, this is how some of us live our whole lives. I mean, it's the paycheck to paycheck sort of existence, and that's not how you're supposed to live. Well, Pastor Jim, you don't understand. We don't make a lot of money. I know we all have different standards of living in this, in this congregation. Some of us make more money than others of us. But understand, what you have is still all you've got. I mean, it's still all you've got. And you can't spend more than, than you make. You, you just can't. You, you can't. But this is even beyond that. This is the idea that somehow, you know, you go through money like poop through a goose and you can't even, no, you don't even know where it goes. It's like the money just is like you're putting it. You ever actually had a hole in your pocket? And so you put the money in, and and then you look back around, and and the money's gone. You know, last week, Judy found, I'm not going to tell y'all, because like 50 of y'all say, that was mine. Judy found like a wad of bills that fell out of somebody's purse or pocket, you know. And and this is what it's like. It's like whatever money you get is just gone. It's just gone before you get it. And you don't even understand where it goes. You can't even explain it. I mean, you're not necessarily just, you know, up at Target buying matchbox cars and bubble gum, but at the same time, you're blowing your money. You don't know where it goes. And and this is what the Old Testament describes as life under the curse. It's that simple way that when you don't honor God with the way he provides for you by returning a tenth of what he gives, if you don't start with the tenth and, and be faithful in that, then things don't go well for you. I mean, some of this is just practical, you you guys. I know that the reason a lot of people don't tithe is they're just really not that organized with money. Some of us just aren't organized at all. I mean, we just get the paycheck and hot dog, we cash it, and then, man, we're eating out on Friday, and we're shopping on Saturday, and then Sunday we eat out again, and Monday we're broke. Just broke, you know? And we're down there waiting in line for the iPhone 10 with facial recognition, you know? So then your phone also can recognize that you're broke. I mean, this is just how it works. I mean, and the money's just somehow gone. And then the preacher talks about giving a tenth, and you're thinking, what? I mean, that takes a certain amount of organization, a certain amount of money management, and the church word for this is stewardship. You're supposed to be a manager, which means you, you can't just thoughtlessly, purposelessly just blow through money. I mean, God is providing for you, and I insist God always provides exactly what we need to do what he wants us to do. But somehow, if you're always out of money before you're out of month, then then there's a stewardship issue here. You have to manage what God gives you. You have to be purposeful and intentional, and, and you have to be organized enough to know what a tenth of it is and set that part back first. That's when people say, Pastor Tim, you know what I'm saying? I can't afford to tithe. What you're telling me is everything else that you're spending is more important on your priorities list than giving back to God. Now, remember, your heart follows your, your treasure. And so all that means is God is not the, the treasure that your heart seeks. You, you want monetary treasure. You, you want worldly material treasure. You understand? So it's not just that God's just up here, you know, making you broke because you don't tithe. It's just that when your heart doesn't seek after God, you're never in a place where God can bless you. God loves to bless you, and God wants to provide for you. But when you live your life unfaithfully with the money he provides to you, then he can't bless you. And this is what it looks like, friends. This is exactly what it looks like. It's like you put all your money in a pocket with a hole in it. So what's Malachi say? Let's go back. 
Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great. Y'all getting this? God's going to make us rich. Is that what it says? Because I've heard a lot of preachers say that. God's going to make you rich. No, see, here's the thing. God is not like us. God really is not under the illusion that money's such a great thing. So in God's mind, if he really wants to bless you, he just may not give you cash. Because in God's economy, cash really isn't the greatest way he can bless you. So you're thinking way too small if you think, great, I'm going to give to God that he's going to give back to me, then I'll give and he'll give back. And pretty soon, I'm going to be a millionaire. Now, preachers preach at you all, and those men are not preaching God's word. God is not so infatuated with money as you and I are. When God says, I'm going to bless you in ways your life can't even receive it, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm just going to give you more money than you give me more money. I'll give you more money. And it's like this money laundering scheme with God where you get rich. No, that's not how the spiritual life works. God's blessings are not necessarily monetary. They're better than that. God tends to give the things money can't buy. You understand? So, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. There aren't a lot of places in Scripture where it says, go ahead, test me. Honestly, most of the time, I think putting God to the test is kind of a bad idea. But this is one place where God says, okay, bring it on, Bubba. Bring it on. Test me. Try it. Just see what happens when you do. So you game? Bubba? Would you? I've done this before. I'll do it again. I'll say up front. This church will issue a three-month challenge. I'm basing it on this passage. I know this scares some of you. I'm sure our treasurer and finance committee, their their minds will explode. Probably not. They're they're great, faithful people. But listen, let's do this. A three-month challenge. If presently you're not tithing, you're not giving at that level of a tenth, then, then again, I I think that's the place to start. You need to get to that place. And, And I'm saying that because of Scripture. I'm not saying it because I want your money or because the church needs your money. God provides for this church. It's not about that. This is about your spiritual life, your heart following your treasure. I hope you understand the truth of that. I'm not talking about, you know, you giving more so the church has more. No, no, no. This is about your life with Christ. Your heart's going to follow your treasure. You need to get these things in line in your life. This is a discipleship issue. All right? So put God to the test. Let's do it this way. Three-month challenge. You start tithing regularly. And, and faithfully. In other words, you, you, you count the money and, and you give a tenth. And I'm not asking you for anything more because the scripture says a tenth. All right? You, you give a tenth. Put it in an envelope at church. We have envelopes on the table in the lobby or find a, come, come see Warren or one of the finance folks. Get an offering envelopes and use envelopes. That's so it can be tracked. Now, I'm not tracking it. I'm not tracking it. 
Um, at the end of the year, those of you who like to get tax benefit for giving, that's where the envelopes help. We have a record of your gift. Honestly, if you put $5 in the plate today, God, God bless your giving, but we have no idea that you gave $5. At the end of the year, if you want a record for that, you know, envelopes are the only way to have a record of what you're giving. So this is why this matters. Put it in an envelope with your name, and, and that's it. Just put your money in an envelope and the amount. And do this for three months. You tithe faithfully and regularly for 10 months. Don't skip. Don't cut corners. And at the end of three months, if you are not completely satisfied with the way God has taken care of you, you come back to the church in private, and the church will return all of the money you've given in three months. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Is this risky? Is that risky? Pastor Tim, the church is going to go broke. Everybody come back, get their money back. No, 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 no. Because what are we doing here? We're doing what the Word of God says. Put God to the test. Do you think God's not going to come through for people? You think God's not going to come through for people? Yo, we've done this before. Nobody's ever come back and said, you know, really God didn't provide for me and I'm disappointed in, in his provision. I, I want my money back. It never happens. Put God to the test. I'm telling you, if you're the first one, we'll, we'll give you your money back. But do it. Do it. Three-month challenge for any person in this church. Tithe. Give a tenth. Three months. Faithfully use an envelope so we can track it at the end of three months. If you are not satisfied with the way God takes care of you, Come back. Give your money back. God says, test me. I'll prove it to you. But remember, uh, the scripture starts out with very, very harsh words. You've robbed me. You've robbed me. It's a fairly serious sin, although you and I like to sort of excuse it. We say, well, gosh, you know, the church is doing fine. The church has plenty of money. Do you understand this isn't about the church having money? This is about how you handle what God gives you. This is your own personal discipleship issue. It's funny. In, in the criminal underworld of Woodburn, even criminals say you, you, don't, you don't rob the church. You don't steal from, you know, there's a certain recognition that certain things are holy and you respect that. And this is the principle here. What God gives you continues to be holy. It continues to belong to God, and you respect that. And one of the ways you show that respect is by returning a portion of what he gives you, you give it back to him, only so that he can continue to throw open the windows of heaven and shower your life with blessings. He is a good God, and you will never outgive him. Pray with me. God, it's interesting how awkward these moments become when we talk about money. It's interesting how, Lord, as a pastor, I can talk about so many different, very personal issues, but how money somehow seems more personal than other issues. It's funny how 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 much we want to keep our giving secret and private. It's, it's funny how we don't want other people to know our business. Lord, it's funny how very true it is when Jesus says that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, Lord. Some of us, we are all tied up in our money. 
We live under the illusion that it all belongs to us, that it's ours, that we earned it, that we can do whatever we want with it, Lord. We just simply forget that everything we have comes from you. The strength we have to go to work comes from you. The health in our bones, it comes from you, God. The intelligence you give us on the job to do our job and make money, Lord, that comes from you. And we just simply forget, Lord, how quickly it could all disappear. Some of us, Lord, we live under this curse, this curse where no matter how much money we have, it's never enough, Lord. And it's not a money issue, Lord. It's a heart issue. Our money can't satisfy us, Lord, because our hearts can't be satisfied with anything other than you. So, Lord Jesus, will you be the treasure that our hearts seek? Will you be that priceless, priceless reward that we live our lives for, Lord? Will you help us just to forget money as a priority and instead live our lives for those things that moth and dust cannot corrupt? Lord, may we lay our treasures up in heaven. God, we know that tithing, that giving takes a certain amount of trust, Lord. We have to trust that you can do more with the 90% than we could do with all of it. So help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us to know that you gave us what we have and you will give all that we need, Lord, to provide for us. You have never, ever abandoned or forsaken your children. It comes down to it, Lord, it's not about money. It's about our hearts. Help us, Lord, to bring our hearts to you, our full heart, our whole heart. And having given you our hearts, Lord, there'll be nothing else that we hold back for ourselves, Lord. Everything we have is yours. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves to you today and every day, even as you throw open the windows of heaven and give yourself and all things to us. God, you are a great and generous giver. Make us to be more like you. In Jesus' name.